Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Uh, we are in the book of John. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying John. I know we are. It's been a, uh, it's, it's humbling <laughs> to, to spend a lot of time in this book and to see just the beauty of who Jesus is and what he does and what he offers us is, uh, it's a, a little shocking uh, at times, to be honest. For sure. I, I don't know where we're starting I at. don't. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll start with something that happened to me this week. I was outside with my son and he got into trouble. <laughs> what shocking six-year-old boys do that's right and uh he did not want to get in trouble so he started running (laughs) and so daddy started chasing and for a second there he kind of disappeared we were outside i was like i have no idea where he just went (laughs) and i'm starting to get a little worried but i'm calling out johnson johnson where are you and I eventually tracked him down. And I'm overwhelmed by a love from a father who would do that for me. And in this story that we're going to read, this about the woman at the well, Jesus comes seeking after her. I was trying to get my son and say, listen, man, it's okay. Like, I love you. you. You can't ever do anything where you could run so far away as to, you know, that you would have to escape. And we feel like that with God sometimes. We feel like we have to run far away. You know, in this conversation, you're going to see this woman, at every turn, she's going to be trying to, you know, turn the conversation to what, to where Jesus is trying to take it, and Jesus is relentless. Mm. And he'll say here that the Father is seeking those who will worship him. You go to Luke's gospel and you see uh, a father portrayed in in Luke 15 in three different ways. And and each time the Father is coming after what's lost. And this is what we get in the story about this woman that Jesus doesn't meet by mistake. Very strategically, he comes to her and meets her at this place and confronts her where she is. You, you see the pursuit of Jesus in the first few verses here. Chapter four, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, Jesus isn't running from the Pharisees. There's, I, I think he's, he's leaving because he just doesn't want to give them any fuel for the fire and because he's looking for someone. He is pursuing worshipers. And he 
very intentionally goes to Samaria during the middle of the day and goes to a well where you wouldn't normally find people in the middle of the day because it's hot and they would normally come for water in the early morning or late in the evening. And the fact that it is Samaria is pretty significant too because the Samaritans were uh, outcasts. The Jews had very little to do with the Samaritans. Uh, There was a lot of racial and religious tension. And so into Samaria walks this itinerant carpenter, pastor, preacher, and sits down at a well because he's tired. And a woman walks up. And from that point on, Jesus breaks every cultural taboo there is. He, he's, first of all, he's a Jewish male, and this woman comes up in the middle of the day, which seems odd because that's not when you get water, and he engages her in a conversation. You see there in verse uh, four that it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he's going north to Galilee, and uh, Samaria is on the way. So on one hand, he had to pass through Samaria because that's on its way, but actually he didn't. He could have gone around it. Uh, I think when you read that verse, verse four, and he had to pass through Samaria, it's saying that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. God had a mission yeah. for him at that moment with this woman. And I would, I would bring up this principle here that we really believe that oftentimes where we, f- or I'd say it like this, the reason we think we're somewhere probably isn't the real reason we're there. Hmm. The reason we think we're somewhere is probably not the real reason that God has us there. So you are a... Um, you're in a biology class because you want to be a doctor. So you're pre-med, so you're in a biology class. That's the reason you think you're there, but the real reason that God may have you there is because he wants to intersect your life with someone. And it happens on the other side, too. You could say, I don't know God. I'm not like his messenger somewhere. Then you know what? There's a reason you're probably here this morning, that he wants your life to intersect with something he wants to do. And I'll give you a, a great example of this in my, my own life because I, I don't always think spiritually. You think, well, you know, you guys are pastors. You're supposed to think this way. It doesn't always happen that way. A couple summers ago, I was doing this side project and the goal of the side project was to make money. That was it. No spiritual anything <laughs> to it. It was just, well, I'm going to make money doing this. And along the way, I met this guy. And when I met him. I, I didn't think much of it at the time. He was just helping me accomplish my project in order to make money. But then as I got to know him, we became friends. And then the more I got to know him, the more I, I saw that this needed to be a spiritual friendship that, that I needed to encourage him spiritually speaking. And so the reason I thought I was there was because, you know, I thought I was trying to make money. But, but really, God had me there probably above all other reasons for this relationship. And over the next few months, we would walk through some really rough times in his life. He, he attempted suicide. He, he had to go into drug rehab. There was all these crazy things that were happening in his life. It was the lowest point of his life. He'd ever, some of the things he'd hardly ever experienced. And God, I really believe that God brought me into his life for me thinking I was there for a certain reason. And it turned out completely different. So where could that be for you? 
And so Jesus says to this woman who walks to the well, give me a drink. He is a, and and she says, um, he sent the disciples away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, verse nine, says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she, uh, she gets, this is weird. A Jewish man has just asked me for a drink. Jesus, knowing, this, is, this, is, this would be taboo. A Jewish male would never speak to a Samaritan woman alone at the well in the middle of the day. And she knows, she's like, why are you doing this? Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus, we've seen it already in John, uh, the, the people he's interacting with think things, we're talking about things on a physical right. level, right. and Jesus is changing the whole conversation to know we're, we're talking about something much more than just normal water mm-hmm. here. There is, a, there is a thirst that you need to take care of that water's not gonna fix. If you look at verse 27, it says that the disciples came back, so they had been sent out you know, to, to get food and water. They come back, and it says they marveled that he was talking with a woman. <laughs> and so there's several things going on. The, the fact that she's a Samaritan, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second, but, but that she's a woman. They, they marveled. They're astonished. They can't believe that he's talking to a woman. This was totally taboo, totally out of place. But yet, Jesus is saying that, that his message cuts through this barrier, this barrier of gender, mm-hmm. that, that, that he would speak to a woman. He's showing them this, this is what the gospel message does. It, it, it doesn't matter uh, what gender you are. The gospel message is for you. And then you have the fact that she's a Samaritan. I mean, Samaritans were, were hated by the Jews, uh, so much so, as like we mentioned earlier, that, that they would possibly even walk around uh, this huge region of Samaria to get to where they were going just so they wouldn't have to you know, deal with the Samaritans. They, they, they thought they were unclean. Uh, in fact, for Jesus to step out and to receive water from her, uh, any Jewish man would have then become unclean according to you know, the laws that were set up. That would mean that they, they could not interact with people. They would, they would have to go and cleanse themselves. So this was a very big deal that Jesus is cutting through multiple barriers here yeah. saying, like, this message is for you. And, and she's, the, the response she has is, it seems pretty normal. Sir, you, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water are you greater than our father Jacob? So she's, she's still thinking about this water, the actual water. And she's like, this, man, you don't even have a, you got nothing to get water in. Are you greater than Jacob? And, and Jesus answers the question with a definitive, well, yes. Look at, look at what... Uh, how he responds. So she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everybody that drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, yes, I am better than Jacob because this water, you're going to have to keep coming back to the well again and again. But my water is superior. It, it will quench the thirst you don't even realize you have in ways that you're going you're gonna to have to never drink again. So he answers her question, are you, are you greater than our father Jacob with a resounding, well, yes, I am. And, and you'll see this again and again in the Gospel of John. Jesus says these things that are crazy in the minds of the people he's talking to. He will say later on in John, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is making this claim. Remember, John's purpose for writing is so that you will know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by knowing this, you would believe in him and be saved. That's the whole purpose of the book, is for you to look at Jesus and hear Jesus say these things and make these claims so that you would be convinced that he is the Messiah. So this... uh, he says, uh, this well's going to become eternal, this spring that pops up in you to mm-hmm. eternal life. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, give me that water. That's the water I want, right? Don't we all want that? Wouldn't it be great if you'd never had to drink water? Like, I drink a lot of water. And I had a panic moment this morning, by the way. Jason's not here, but I, I went, we usually have water in the back, and there was no water back there. <laughs> And I had this little moment of, oh no, because you get thirsty, right? Wouldn't it be great if you never had to drink again, drink water again? Yes. Just check that off the list. Yes. So she's... It, and even more so in a culture like theirs, this is a very powerful metaphor because, again, it's, we go flip on a switch and water comes out. <laughs> we really take it for granted, but for her to go and draw water every day, again, she's coming at noon. Why is she doing that? Because... She, she doesn't want to associate with the people at the well who are there in the morning or maybe in the evening when it's cooler. And so for her to hear this, oh, I, yes, I'll, 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 have, I'll have that. I'll take that. Yeah, we'll but, have to come back to this well. Yeah, she's all about that. So then you see really Jesus is, is going to move it from, okay, you're still thinking physical to the spiritual. Jesus, uh, Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That sounds great. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now that... Let that hit you for a second. That seems almost unkind. Jesus has said, I've got this living water. She's like, give me a drink. And he, and he mm-hmm. puts his thumb on a bruise and presses. He, he says, go get your husband. Because he knows, Right? Remember at the end of, I think it was John 2, 
It says Jesus knew what was in a heart. He wouldn't entrust himself to men because he knew what was in their heart. He knows. And he says to her, go get your husband, and it opens up this wound. You can almost hear the shame. I, I, I don't have a husband. And, and Jesus presses into that, and he goes, you're right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he wants, and so why would he do that? It feels cruel. I think he does it for, for two reasons. One is he wants to cover our sin with his grace. And it can't be covered if it's not exposed. And he knows it, and he needs her to know. Mm-hmm. He knows it. You can't be set free from it until it's exposed. When it comes into the light, we've, we've seen this metaphor in John, men loved the darkness and hated the light. Well, Jesus just pulls out the spotlight right here and goes, go get your husband. He is opening up this wound so he can cover her sin with his grace. So that's the one thing. We can't, we can't hide from our sin. And the, and the other reason is I think he wants to comfort her sin. We, we, and we miss this sometimes. We, we will say, I think I've even said this, and I thought this morning, I, I wish I had, I know I've said this. When we come and we come into worship and we say things like, let's just put aside everything that's troubled us this week. Let's put that aside and let's focus on worship. That is a ridiculous thing to say. The, the whole purpose of worship is for us to bring the pain and the brokenness and the hurt and the sin to Jesus and exchange it for better water. And so, the, so what seems cruel, mm-hmm. man, why would he bring that up? Is Jesus saying, I'm about to open a door for you, for you to come in and get covered and comforted for your sin. But it's gonna, it's gonna be a little painful because we're gonna have to get it out in the open. And so I, I think that's what Jesus is saying yeah. here when he says, yeah. go get your husband. And she's not quite ready for it yet. So look at her response, verse 19. The woman <laughs> said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Uh, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where you, people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Mm -hmm. him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So she's confronted. The spotlight is on her life. Jesus has called her out. Look, I know exactly where you've been searching and, and the life you've been living. And when she, does, when she hears this, she's not quite ready for it yet. So she's like, okay, okay, wait. That's pretty amazing. That's a great trick you got there. You must be a prophet. Mm-hmm. And, and so let, let's talk about, you know, church for a second. And you'll see this happen in conversations yeah. that you have with people. When, when you want to talk about spiritual things, oftentimes the, the conversation will shift to, well, well let's talk about how, how we worship and, and like what, what's the right kind of church. And Jesus, again, moves her back to the point. The point is not where or how or 
the trappings of it, but he's saying it's who you worship. Yeah. Worship isn't a place, it's a person. It, it, and it's not external. She's like, we, we, you know, you, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, we worship here, and Jesus is like, the tem- we're about to be done with temples, right? He told the Pharisees and, the, and the, the money changers, remember he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again. Yeah. And, and he's talking about his own body. He said, I'm about to get rid of temple worship and locations and the thing you're gonna need to worship me is my presence. Mm-hmm. And that alone. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to gather in places corporately to worship Jesus. In, in fact, Paul um, in Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter two. Yeah. Just walk through this progression for a second one more time because you have uh, Jesus walking on, at, on the temple site in Jerusalem. This is the sacred site where God had come to dwell with his people and, and Jesus cleanses the temple just two chapters before this and he says, Dest- destroy this temple. He's speaking of himself and I'll rebuild it. He's saying, I'm the temple. You don't need that temple any longer. But then there's a shift that happens post-resurrection where all of a sudden the, the writers of the New Testament are talking about a new temple, that we are the temple. So Ephesians 2 verse 19 says that this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We're the temple. Hmm. That's why Paul warns in Corinthians, he says, you know, be holy because your, your, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Be, when, when Jesus rescues us from our sins, he places in us his Holy Spirit. And so now all of a sudden, worship has shifted to, to as we, we, when we were singing here this morning, this, this was, I, I, you could hear it in the voices, all of us together. We, we are experiencing the glory of God when we come together to worship this God in spirit, meaning, you know, in our heart and in truth, knowing these things to be true about Jesus. Yeah. And so she's, she's, you ever been in one of these conversations you're just trying to get out of? Like you keep trying to change the yeah. topic, so sooner or later I'm gonna land on a topic this person doesn't want to talk about, and they'll either walk off or I, I'll just run. Right? This is where she is. It's awkward, and it's on, she's like, man, this guy knows way too much about me. I'm gonna switch it to this religious conversation. And then one, so she, he gives her this you gotta worship in spirit and truth. And so, last ditch effort to get out of this conversation. She says, Go, well, I, I know the Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. So she's saying, yeah, someday. Mm-hmm. We, we, I, we'll t- someday that's going to happen. And, and it's, you, can, you can feel the awkward, I hope, in the con- I mean, she just doesn't want to. It's like, yeah, I know. And then he gives her this answer. Jesus said to her, in, in, in the original language, this is what he says to her, I am. Hmm. 
I, I know someday Messiah's going to come. I'm trying to get out of this awkward conversation, and he drops this bomb. I am. The, the one talking to you right now, I, I am the Messiah. And then all of this commotion starts happening because then the disciples show up, these clowns, right? <laughs> Their timing, most of the time, is terrible. And they, so they walk up and they marvel. He's talking with a woman, and, and no, but nobody, she's asking questions. They don't ask any, right? John, John says, nobody ask. What do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the disciples totally have no idea what's going on. In fact, a little bit later, they're going to go, you need to eat something, Jesus. And then he's like, no, I, I don't need food. And they're like, wait, did somebody bring him food? Like mm-hmm. they miss the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. But look at what happens. In all of this conversation, it's been a pretty quick conversation. Jesus says, I am. He's exposed her sin. He knows about her. Look, don't miss this. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. The whole reason she came, she leaves. The way she thinks she's going to quench her thirst, she just doesn't care about. She leaves. And she runs back into the town. Now think about this. This is a woman who's had five husbands. She's living with a dude that isn't her husband. Scandalous. That's scandalous for our day and age. For that culture, no way. This woman is filled with shame and doubt and fear. And she leaves the jar and runs back into the town to go, you got to come meet this guy. He knew everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? Yes. And, and in this moment, the most marginalized, scandalized woman in a town becomes the first evangelist to Samaria. Are you broken, covered with shame? Jesus is pursuing you. He comes to this woman that no one else would talk to. Think about this. This is blowing my mind. At this well, Jacob's well. You know what happens at wells a lot in the Bible? People meet their husband or they meet their wife. Think about it. They found Isaac's wife at a well. Moses meets his wife at a well. Here's a woman who's had five husbands trying to find all her worth and value in a man and six of them have disappointed her. She shows up at a well, and the bridegroom is there. He, listen, she leaves her jar. Whatever your jar is that you think's quenching your thirst, for her, it was obviously relationships. Maybe that's your jar today. Maybe your jar, you think you're, you're getting your satisfaction. Maybe your jar is sexual sin or, or control or power or maybe there's something you think is going to quench your thirst and you're trapped. 
like this woman was trapped in, in these relationships, trying to find what was gonna quench her spiritual thirst in men. Whatever your jar is today, listen, leave it. Leave it. Jesus is relentlessly pursuing you. And when she says, I know someday the Messiah is coming and he answers, I am. Listen, let today be your someday. We're gonna, sit, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and here's, here's what I want us to do. Stand with me. When, when, when Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah, The coin drops for her, and she just runs from her jar. That thing she thinks is going to quench her thirst, and she, she just leaves it. As we sing today, this is what, this is what I, I, I want to offer to you. Leave your jar And come to Jesus. We, we will turn the front of this room into an altar. Leave your jar. And come to the fountain of living water. Let me pray for us. Father.